Chapter Twenty Eight of the Maid of Scar. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Maid of Scar by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter Twenty Eight. Something about him. It was, of course, not Parson Rambone, but the Parson Chowne, who aroused my desire of knowledge so strongly, and even here I was met at first by failure and disappointment. The men would only shake their hands and say, Ah, he is a queer one, or, Well, well, we can't expect all folk to be alike, you know, or even some of the ruder spirits, you had better go yourself and ask him a most absurd suggestion for never yet had i seen a man less fit to encourage impertinence far more ready would i have been to displease even his great comrade the reverend john rambone and no one who saw them together could doubt which of the two was the master my true course was clearly to bide my time and as chairman to enhance the goodwill and geniality of the evening and this i was ready enough to do i and in the vein for it bearing in mind the wisdom of enjoying to the utmost such favourable circumstances to be on the free boot and well received in a place entirely new to me where i found myself so much ahead of everybody in matter of mind and some of them glad to acknowledge it also where no customer could be waiting to reproach me nor even a justice of the peace well versed in my countenance moreover blessed as i was with a sense of pity for these natives and a largeness of goodwill to them such a chance had never crossed me since the day my wife did ikey and i had a good laugh also at that surly bethel jose who had shown himself so much above the fair in mind yet was there in body none but bang the boy had been left for captain and crew of the rose of devon and before it was dark we had found bang shooting at four shots a penny for cocoa-nut slices with ginger-beer poured over them now fortune stood my friend that night for before we began to find ourselves in a condition at all uproarious i managed to loosen the tongues of these natives by means of some excellent stories recalling the fame of my grandfather that long david llewellyn who made on his harp three unconquered ballads and won the first prize at all the eisteddfods held during his life for englynion i could not accept it as my business to play second fiddle therefore being in a happy mood i was enabled to recount such stories as made these devonshire folk open their mouths like a man at a great rock oyster while their experience was in contention with faith and perhaps good manners and as their nature is obstinate and most unwilling to be outdone they found themselves driven down at last to tell the most wonderful things they knew or else to be almost nobodies and putting aside what their grandfathers might have seen or heard or even done which is a mistake to dwell upon all their stories worth curve of the ear were of parson chowne and no other for this man was a man as we say no other man must have a will 
that stood across the path of his if he heard of any one unwilling to give way to him he would not go to bed until he had taken that arrogance out of him many people and even some of ten times his own fortune had done their best one after the other not to be beaten by him all of them found that they could not do it and that their only chance of comfort was to knock under to parson chowne and even after that had been done he was not always satisfied but let them know from time to time their folly in offending him and most of all he made a point as was natural perhaps of keeping the lord bishop of the country under him some of these had done their best before they understood him to make his habits hold themselves within some stretch of discipline or if that could not be hoped at any rate to keep silent when he heard of these ideas he was not a little pleased because he descried a rare chance of sport and he followed it up with their lordships the law he knew to its lowest tittle and while he broke it every day himself woe to any man who dared to break it against him and gradually these bishops came one after the other growing a little alive to what the parsons were not so much to let him alone as to desire his acquaintance out of school if so i may put it in my ignorance of the bench of bishops for well as i know a fish called the pope and also a pear said to be bishop's thumb not to mention a grass called timothy it has not been my luck thus far to rise above the bench of magistrates let be is the wisest thing one can say and so everybody said of him so soon as ever it was acknowledged that he could never be put down and thus he might have done well enough if he would have been content with this only it never was his nature to be content with anything which is the only true way to get on if any one cares for that sort of thing who knows mankind's great randomness because the one who shoves and swears without being too particular has the best chance to hoist himself upon the backs of the humble by dint of this and to keep him quiet parson chowne himself they said might have been bishop if so he had chosen for this he had some fine qualifications for his very choicest pleasure was found in tormenting his fellow-parsons and a man of so bold a mind he was that he believed in nothing except himself even his own servants never knew how to come nigh him one at the stables would touch his hat and he would kick him for reply then another would come without ceremony and he knocked him down to learn it also in the house the maidens had the same account to give however much they might think of themselves and adorn themselves to that estimate he never was known to do so much as to chuck any one of them under the chin as they had been at all other places much in the habit of feeling neither did he make a joke to excuse himself for omitting it as to that they would scorn themselves ever to think of permitting it being young women of high respect and quite aware how to conduct themselves but they might have liked to stop him and they got no chance of doing it all this small talk almost vexed me more than the content it gave 
Every now and then I could see the man in these little corner views, but they did not show me round him so as to get his girth and substance. Think of the devil is an old saying, and while I thought of him, in he walked. At the very first glimpse of him, all those people who had been talking so freely about him shrank away, and said, Servant, sir, and looked so foolish more than usual. Then he read them with one eye, he had his riding clothes on now, and it made him look still sharper. Talking of me, good people, eh? I hope the subject pleases you. Open your ranks, if you please, and show me whether my groom is behind you. He cracked a great hunting whip as he spoke, and it seemed a poor prospect for the groom, wherever he might be loitering. Please, your honour, your honour's groom have not been here all day a-most, and if her coomph us on't keep un. In that resolution you are wise. What, you here, Welshman? I marked you to-day. You will come to me by noon to-morrow. Here is for your charges. He threw on the table two crown pieces, and was gone before I knew what answer I was bound to make to him. The men, recovering from his presence, ran to the window to watch him as far as the flaring lights of the fair, now spluttering low, displayed him. Without being able to see so much as I strongly desired to see of him, I could not help admiring now his look, and his manner, and strongly steady gait, and the general style of his outward man. His free way of going along made clear the excellence of his clothing, and he swung his right elbow, as I was told, from his constant desire to lash a horse. He was the devil himself to ride, so everybody said of him, and Parson Chowne's horse was now become a byword for any one thoroughly thrashed. And yet no other man must ever dare to touch his horses. If any one did, no deadlier outrage could be put upon him. Hearing these things from fourteen customers able to express their thoughts, I was sorry when the corner turned upon Parson Chowne, so walking in the light of long deal tables set with finely guttering candles, and with goods not quite sold out. And he left upon my memory a vision of a great commander, having a hat of controlling movements and a riding coat so shaped that a horse appeared to be under it, and lower down buff leathern breeches and boots well over the hinge of his legs, and silver heels and silver spurs, and nothing to obscure him. No top-coat or outer style of means to fend the weather, because he could keep it in order always. "'I wish I was like him, then,' said I, "'and what does he mean by insulting me? "'I know a hundred bigger fellows. "'Am I at his beck and call?' "'I warn thou wilt be soon enough,' "'answered with a heavy grin a lout of a fellow, "'who had shown no more sense than to leave the room "'at the very crash and crown of one of my best stories. "'Hast heard what passin have now a dude?' He was come in primed with some rubbishing tale, and wanted the room to make much of him. Nevertheless, the men of perception had not done with me yet. "'Whatever be un, whatever be un, spack up, ostler jan,' cried some of the altogether younger men, who never know good work from bad, but seek some new astonishment. Goodness knows how hard it was, and how wholly undeserved, for me to withdraw and let them talk, only because their news was newer, and about a favourite man to talk of. 
However, I pressed down my feelings, not being certain about my bill if I offended any one. For mercy's sake, I spare their brogue and tell their story decently. And Ostler John's tale was as follows, so far as I could make it out, by means of good luck and by watching his face. A certain justice of the peace, whose name was Captain Vellicott, a gentleman of spirit, who lived in one of the parishes belonging to this Parson Chowne, who happened to have two churches, this gentleman had contrived to give, as almost every one managed to do, deadly offence to Parson Chowne. It was expected that the parson would be content to have him down and horsewhip him, as his manner was, and burn his house down afterwards. But the people who thought this were too hasty, and understood not his reverence, whether from dislike of sitting upon the bench with him afterwards, or whether because Mrs. Vellicott also had dared to shake hands with her gauntlet on, or because the baby cried when offered up to kiss the parson, at any rate Captain Vellicott must have more than a simple chastisement. The captain, being a quick, sharp man, who said a hot word and forgot it, laughed at every one who told him to see to himself, and so on. The parson said he is a man of his cloth, so am I of mine, and I will not insult him by expecting insult. So it came to pass that he made the mistake of measuring another man by his own measure. After a few months this gentleman felt that the parson had quite forgiven him, no evil having befallen him yet, except that his rickyard had twice been fired, and his wife insulted by the naked people whom Chowne maintained upon Nympton Moor. And so when they met in the fair this day, the captain bowed to the parson and meant to go on and see to his business, but the other would not have it so. He offered his hand most cordially, and asked how Mrs. Vellicott was, and all the five children, according to ages, using the Christian name of each. Captain Vellicott was so pleased by the kindness of his memory, and the nobility shown in dropping whatever had been between them, that what did he do but invite Master Chowne to dine with him up at the Fortescue Arms Hotel, and see a young horse he had bought in the fair, giving his own for it and five guineas, for he was not a rich man at all, and was come to make a moderate bargain. Everything might have gone on well, and perhaps the parson really meant to forgive him at the moment for having dared, in the bygone matter, to have a will of his own almost. But as bad luck would have it, this very horse that the captain had bought turned out to be one which the parson had eye upon ever since last year's hunting season. However, not to paint the devil too black, it was confessed that he offered Vellicott five pounds for his bargain. This ought to have satisfied any man who knew what Parson Chowne was, and that fifty times five pounds would be saved by keeping out of his black books. Nevertheless, the captain stuck to his bargain and ruined himself. The two gentlemen parted very good friends, shaking hands warmly and having their joke, and hoping to dine again soon together, for Parson Chowne could beat all the world at after-dinner stories, and the captain was the best man to laugh anywhere round the neighbourhood. And so he started rather early on purpose to show his new horse to his wife. But the ostler, who was a very 
old codger, and had seen a little of Parson's ways, shook his head after the captain's shilling, and spat upon it to prevent bad luck, and laid it on the shelf where he kept his blacking. He was too clever to say one word, but every one remembered how he had behaved, and the sigh he gave when he reminded them it may have been half an hour afterwards or it may have been an hour and a half so much these people differed when captain vellicott on a hurdle came to surgeon cutcliffe's door and the horse was led to farrier gould who sent him to the mare for opinions and his worship sent him on to pilch of the knacker's yard poor justice vellicott's collar-bone was snapped in two places and his left thigh broken also three of his ribs stoven in and a good deal of breakage abroad in his head however they hoped that he might come round and being a devonshire man he did as i found out afterwards this tale which ostler john delivered at ten times the length of the above caused a very great stir and excitement and comparison of opinions and when these wiseacres had almost exhausted their powers of wonder i desired to know in the name of goodness why the poor parson must be saddled with every man who fell off his horse in the first place he must have been far away from the scene of the misfortune inasmuch as no more than an hour ago he was seeking his room amongst us and again what could be more likely than that captain vellicott might have taken with a view to good luck for his purchase a bottle or two of wine beyond what otherwise would have contented him and even if not why a horse might fall much more a man who has only two legs without anybody having designed it this reasoning of mine made no impression because everybody's opinion was set passant chown had a dude it they scratched their heads and went into side questions but on the main point all agreed twar aether the passant or the devil himself chapter twenty eight